0: God, we do just come before you today. God, we just exalt you. We honor you as King, as Lord of our hearts, of Lord of our cities, God, Thank you that you are, God, you are the king, you are the Lord of the universe, God. Everything is under your subjection, under your control, and your authority. So we just announce that today. We come into agreement with that today. God. before we even get started, God, we just declare that you are Lord, you are king, you are God. There is no one like you. There is none beside you, God. So we just honor you today. We praise and lift high the name that is above all names. And in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Amen. Christmas is the time when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but it's much more than just celebrating a birthday. We know this is not the exact date when Jesus was born, but it is the time when we set aside to celebrate his birth. Now, I don't know about y'all, but in my family, we love to celebrate birthdays, We like to take the time to specifically honor and love and just celebrate that special person and wish them well for another year to celebrate their life, to show appreciation, maybe bring them gifts, uh, take them to a special meal, like for my birthday. That means means homemade meat pies. That means pineapple upside-down cake. Yes, also homemade pecan pie. Yes, I like, I like cake and pie and, of course, ice cream and probably a trip or two to some of my favorite restaurants with my family, okay? So if we're willing to go all out to celebrate those in our physical family, how much more should we take time to celebrate and honor the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on his special day? But again, this is much deeper than a birthday, This was the birth that started the process for us all to have new birth. This was the delivery that started the process for us all to have deliverance. But we cannot miss this today. Look, as we just sung about, the Jewish people had been longing for their promised Messiah to come, to set them free. He'd been prophesied about from the very beginning. But the time had now come for him to be made manifest in the flesh. So I want us to look at all of this today through the lens of prophecy, because that's what this really is. This is the culmination. This is the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies concerning his arrival that proved definitively and without question that Jesus is Messiah. In fact, Matthew uses the Old Testament throughout his book in Scripture to prove that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. I know many times when we're going through Scripture, maybe it's just me, we see these genealogical records of so-and-so begot so-and-so, and it's like, okay, well, that's that's nice, and just kind of go on to the next thing. But this actually is not just a placeholder, right? We know that every word that is in there is inspired by the Holy Spirit, okay? This is the beauty and perfection of God when we look at this, that Messiah must come at just the right time. And we see Matthew lists the genealogy of Jesus and provides a beautiful summary. I'm not going to go through All the things, but I'm gonna go through the summary. This is Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. It says So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the Babylonian exile are 14 generations. And then from the Babylonian exile until the Messiah are 14 generations. Hopefully, y'all caught on to that pattern. There are three sets of 14 generations from Abraham when God made the original covenant until Messiah. We know three is a number that represents completeness, and 14 is the number seven doubled. And we know seven is another number representing perfection and completion. So you put this all together. You see the order and the perfection of God as he reveals his plan of redemption for humanity through the generations. You see, God has a plan. He has a purpose. And he has just the right timing to bring everything in his plan to pass. I love this truth in Galatians 4, 4 through 5. But when in God's plan, the proper time had fully come... God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the regulations of the law so that he might redeem and liberate those who are under the law that we who believe might be adopted as sons, as God's children, with all rights as fully grown members of a family. How many of y'all are grateful to be adopted into the family of the living God? You see, even in the midst of chaos and disorder, there was great turmoil during this time. God is still sovereign, and he is still on the throne. He can bring order out of chaos. He can breathe life into nothing and create something. He can speak light into darkness and change the course of human history. Don't ever forget, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's where we're going with today's message today. He is always working things together for our good, especially when we can't see it. He will bring them to pass in his time, not ours. So we have to be patient so we don't miss it. And he will usually bring things about in a way that we're not expecting. That means we have to be humble and shift our plans and our expectations to what God is doing and not merely what we want to see happen. Don't miss the hour of your visitation when the king breaks into your life. Be ready to welcome him. So we're gonna look at eight prophecies that Jesus fulfilled at his birth and see what we can learn from and apply them to our lives today. The first prophecy we're gonna look at is truly remarkable. And actually, if this one thing was the only thing that was fulfilled, I mean, we could, just, we could just stop. But it's truly amazing. He would be born of a virgin. God made it clear through the prophets that when Messiah would come, he would come as a child, but not just any child, not just any birth, a virgin birth. Think about that. It is physically impossible for a baby to be conceived without both a male seed and female egg. Impossible. So you can imagine back in this time when a woman had never had sex before and then to come and say, hey, I'm pregnant, but I didn't have sex. You can imagine that's that's impossible, right? Right away we see, this is going to be different. This is gonna be supernatural and set him apart from every other birth in human history. And he told us through the prophets it would happen and that that would be the sign to look for so we would know this is the one when he comes. Let's look at Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Listen carefully. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, prophecies are like tips. They're like clues to let us in beforehand. What is going to happen so we can recognize it and not miss it when it shows up? God always likes to send his people these clues, these little insights, warnings sometimes. I like to call them a holy heads up. And he does that today. He might be trying to get your attention about something like, hey, I need you to look at this over here. This is something that's coming down the pipe that you need to get ready for. Or he might keep putting a person on your heart saying something like, hey, you need to get ready. You're going to run into this person and you going need to be ready to talk to them about something. They may seem subtle, but don't ignore that still small voice. Don't ignore the warnings. Don't disregard what God's trying to put on your radar. As scripture says, don't despise prophecy. Now, being born of a virgin is a huge prophetic clue. So did Jesus meet this all-important messianic prophecy? Let's look through Matthew and Luke, and we'll actually see in Matthew 1, 22, 23, All this happened in order to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet Isaiah. So he tells him right up front, this is going to happen and this is going to fulfill that prophecy we just talked about in Isaiah 7, 14. Meeting this one prophecy would be enough to prove he is the special one who the world was waiting for since he wouldn't have any human father. So why is it so significant? Obviously, to fulfill this prophecy, yes, but it was also demonstrate how he was God in human form. Literally, God with us, as that name implied. He had no natural seed. He was conceived of incorruptible seed from the very spirit of God himself. So what do we learn from this for today? First of all, Scripture is true that all things are possible with God. If he says a virgin's gonna give birth, well, guess what? The virgin's gonna give birth, okay? Things that are normally impossible with man become possible when God gets involved. When his spirit overshadows a situation, his spirit can bring life out of impossibilities. That means whatever situations we're facing today in our lives right now that seem too hard, that seem too far gone, that seem too impossible to ever turn around or have anything good come out of it is a prime target for the Holy Spirit to come and invade and do a new work. It means that God wants to birth a new thing in our lives that cannot be explained with human reasoning. It cannot be explained with natural understanding because he's going to get the credit and the glory for it when it comes. We should take a note from Mary. Don't try to figure out what God is trying to do in the supernatural with your natural mind. Just step out in faith and say, let it be done to me according to your will. The second prophecy we need to explore today is the Messiah-specific name. You see, names are very important, especially in the Jewish culture. A name carries great weight. It's an indicator of the child's prophetic destiny. It's usually also given after the child's father. We know from Isaiah seven fourteen that his name would be Emmanuel or God with us, which is more like a descriptive title than actual name. But there was a actual specific name assigned to him before his birth. And it would reveal his unique assignment and purpose and be linked to his father. We see this in Matthew one twenty one through 23. An angel of the Lord actually appears to Joseph and prophesies to him what is happening and going to take place. And he said, she will give birth to a son and you shall call his name Yeshua for he will save his people from their sins. Mary and Joseph... As I said, they had not consummated their marriage yet. So Joseph was obviously a little bit leery of jumping into this relationship with his pregnant wife who he had not slept with yet. So the Lord was very gracious and sent an angel and said, hey, this is of me. You need to proceed as planned. Okay, so he reassured him and he went along with it, thankfully. But notice the angel of the Lord instructed Joseph on what to name the child. This child would not be called Joseph Jr., but he would be named after his heavenly father. I love this note from verse 21 from the Passion Translation talking about his name. Your translation probably says Jesus, but the Hebrew name for Jesus is Yeshua or Yehoshua. and means Yahweh is salvation, restoration, and deliverance. Implied in the text is that the Hebrew Aramaic speakers would obviously understand how the name Yeshua and salvation were linked. That was his unique name. His name literally means Yahweh's salvation, and his destiny would be to bring salvation, saving people, from their sins. Obviously his name fulfills prophecy, but it also designated him specifically as savior, restorer, and deliverer. And what can we learn from this today? There's power in a name. What you call someone matters. It agrees with and reinforces their identity. So whenever we call on the name of Jesus or Yeshua, we are acknowledging he is the one who saves. We are also called by his name and called into his same purpose and destiny of reaching out, of loving the world back to life and setting captives free. Now, we also have our own unique names and specific destinies individually, and I believe we should pray and press in and see what God has for us individually as well. But even beyond a natural name, I believe, as Rochelle talked about the other week, that we can be rebranded, that we can go to God and ask him, what do you call me? And he can even give us a new name that can get us realigned to what he wants us to accomplish for his plan and purpose. Just like Abram went to Abraham or Jacob to Israel. Also, we get to pray and declare things in his mighty name, calling on God to save, to restore and deliver us from whatever situations we are facing. That's why there's power in the prayers that we pray in Jesus name, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah. He saved us once and for all, but he is still working and saving us each and every day as we call upon and believe in the name that's above every name. So call on that name, the only name that saved. It's his name. It's who he is. It's what he did. And it's what he continues to do every day for those who would have faith and call on his name. Now, the third prophecy we'll look at is that he would be known as the son of God. This is important because as we said, who is like God? Yes, humanity was created in the image of God, but who was actually created with the very seed of God Himself? Scripture talks about how no one is like God except for one. In the Psalms, we see this prophesied in chapter 2, verse 7. It says, I will declare the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. This day I proclaim I have begotten you there would be one who would be known as the only begotten son of God. And that is the one to look for. We know that Mary and Joseph were both informed beforehand that Jesus would be the son of God. But we also see later, and I love this, God himself actually spoke and confirmed and affirmed this fact in Matthew 3, verse 17. It says, suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So why is that so significant that he would be the son of God? Again, to fulfill prophecy. But we also see it's like father, like son. Jesus is God in the flesh, God with us. He's the exact representation of the invisible God. And what can we learn and apply from this today? That God is willing to come down and meet us in our circumstances. He's not too far or unwilling to come near to us in our time of need, in the darkest pit or the ugliness of sin that we have gotten ourselves into. If we will turn to him in repentance and come back, he is waiting with loving arms. He wants to dwell with us. He wants to tabernacle with us. He will accept us back. He wants to have a close personal relationship with us, and that is good news, not just for us, but anyone who's willing to believe it. It also shows, again, as we saw from Galatians, that God's made a way to adopt us all into the family of God. The fourth prophecy we need to look at today is that Messiah would have to be from the tribe of Judah. Keeping in mind, there are 12 tribes of Israel That means that Messiah needs to trace his lineage back through this specific tribe in Judah. So we'll pick up in Genesis 49, verse 10. It says, The scepter of royalty shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh, the Messiah, the peaceful one, comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So not only would Jesus have to be born of a virgin, right? and have a name linked with both God and salvation, and be the son of God, he would also have to be from this particular tribe. That's where these genealogical records really come into play in scripture. You can actually trace it back and see, oh, he actually is in Luke Chapter 1, verse 33. I'm not going to read all of these, obviously, but we're going to pick this up. The son of Abinadab, the son of Admin, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah. Why is that so important? Again, he has to fulfill this prophecy, but more specifically, this is the tribe through which the promise of rulership was for Israel. You see, the firstborn son is the natural heir to take over and to rule. He gets the double portion, he gets to rule. But we see in scripture, Reuben forfeited that, and then also Levi and Simeon were disqualified. So then it goes to the fourth son, which is Judah. That means the royal line has to go through Judah. So what can we learn from this? First of all, Judah means praise. So that means when we praise God in the midst of our circumstances, we are preparing the way for the king to come to move to rule and reign in our lives. That's why it's so important to lift up praise and worship to the king as often as possible. It's like announcing, make way for the king. There's nothing in the way that can stand before the king. Everything must bow. It's also an act of faith that we acknowledge there is still one on the throne who is higher than and sovereign over every single circumstance and battle that we go through. And we can make our appeal to the highest court, the royal court, and beseech the king of kings. We also know, and we've talked about this before, that Jesus has given us kingly authority to use on his behalf as we are living here on the earth as his representatives. He's given us his power and authority to help govern the earth realm from the heavenly realm where we are seated with the king in heavenly places. The fifth prophecy is related to the fourth, that the Messiah king would also not just be from the tribe of Judah, but he has to be from the house and direct lineage of David, the king of Israel. Just as we all belong to the kingdom of God, it's important to our destiny as to which house or family that we belong to and align with. So I just wanted to say for anyone who's listening, but also anyone here, Get in a house and stay in the house where God dwells. Get around some. Family that are running after the same things that will love you and push you through to your prophetic destiny. We were meant and designed to accomplish our purpose through the context of a family in a house, but we've got too many runaways in the family of God. We've got too many homeless brothers and sisters who've been hurt and wounded and have run away from home. So I just wanted to issue a prophetic call out today prodigals come home, come back. There's healing in the house. Let some people love you back to life today. So let's look at this today. God promised and made a covenant with David as we can see Reiterated in Jeremiah 23 5, he says, behold, listen closely. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he will reign as king and act wisely and will do those things that accomplish justice and righteousness in the land. Now, there are many prophetic indicators that we can see in the life of King David that point directly to Jesus. We see the number eight popping up. We see being a shepherd. We see him being a prophet, a righteous king, loving and honoring God with everything in their heart. But the important thing I want us to focus on today is the covenant promises with God. If Judah was the tribe that the king's line would need to come through David's house would be like the royal family that the king's line would come from. And we see Jesus was in fact a descendant of the house of David in Luke 3.31. The son of Meleah, the son of Menna, the son of Mathatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David. Jesus had to be born from the house of David since that's who had the covenant promise with God to have the legal right to rule. So what can we learn from that? We know that God looks with favor on those who love and honor him. Man may look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And we know David was a man after God's own heart. We also know from Scripture, Jesus lived his whole life in a way that was pleasing and acceptable and in total obedience to God and his command. God wants and looks at our hearts. He's looking for those who've positioned themselves to be chosen to carry out his rule and reign, who've humbled themselves beneath the mighty hand of God, who are willing to love God no matter what, to give him radical praise without giving any regard to anyone around them, and no matter what anyone else thinks, to love and obey God and his commandments. When we do, and we submit our hearts to God in this way, We are ready to take on whatever assignment that God has in store for us. We can work with him to accomplish righteousness and justice in the land. We can exercise our kingly authority in prayer and govern the atmosphere around our homes and around our communities. We can decree and declare things in the name of the king and then actually live out righteousness and make the earth look more like heaven. And just like King David and just like King Jesus, we can put all of our hope and trust in the Lord our God and walk in supernatural victory against all odds. The sixth prophecy we need to unpack today is that Jesus would also need to be born in Bethlehem. Now, why is this important? Again, this is a messianic prophecy that had to be fulfilled. Uh, Hopefully by now, before I even get to the end, we can see that not only did Jesus have to fulfill all these things, but he did fulfill all these things, and there's no one else that could, has, or will be able to fulfill all of these things as well. In Micah five two, we see this prophecy, which detailed the specific city that Messiah would need to be born in. It says, but as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one shall come forth for me, who is to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth appearances are from long ago, from ancient days. Now we see this is clearly fulfilled in Matthew chapter two, verse one. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there it is, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. Again, why is this significant? Of course, it's a prophetic thing that had to be fulfilled, but Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus specifically said that he is the bread of life. We also touched on the fact that King David was a shepherd who took care of his father's sheep. But what we didn't get to was the city in which he was a shepherd in. That's right? It was Bethlehem. Bethlehem is also referred to as the city of David. What's also of deep prophetic significance about this particular city is that Bethlehem is where the sheep that were used for the temple sacrifices were raised. So if Messiah was going to come and be the ultimate sacrifice for his people, it would make sense that he would be born where the temple sacrifices were. And of course, we know that John the Baptist prophesied over Jesus that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So what can we learn from that today? It's clear that God loves to use the little things to do big things. It says, Bethlehem was so small, it was almost insignificant. Yet it was from this small, humble town that God would usher in his greatest miracle, So don't despise the day of small beginnings. We live in a culture that despises small things. We look down on things that are not big or powerful, but even the mightiest and tallest trees have to first start out as some small seed or acorn. Look, fruit doesn't start out as plump, juicy fruit on a vine. It starts out as a small seed. It doesn't start out looking like anything of what it will eventually become. God put seed in each and every one of us. It may seem small, but it's only because it hasn't grown into the fullness of what we are becoming. The enemy wants to lie to us to get us to focus on, look, it's just, it's just small. It's like Bethlehem. What is that? What's going to come out of that? But God wants to keep reminding us where we are going. He wants to remind us of the prophetic promises that He has given. Thank God that he is patient with us and will take us through this process at the right time. Remember the fullness of time when the time is perfect and complete. So we need to be grateful with the small things, trusting they're not going to stay small as long as they're committed to the Lord and they are stewarded. Well, there is a harvest coming. Also, we can see from this being born in Bethlehem how much God really does love the underdog story. God loves taking impossible situations and supernaturally working in them to make them possible. He loves to confound the proud and those who are wise in their own eyes to use little, seemingly insignificant things to change the world. Just like David, who was the last and forgotten son that God would raise up, to be the greatest and to eventually become king. God chose one of the smallest and most forgotten places to plant the seeds for the greatest harvest that he would produce. God can use something little to bring about something great in your life. God doesn't need much to work with. He just needs our faith and trust in him. He needs us to trust in his name in the process. And we can be like Jesus' ancestor David, the lowly shepherd boy who took out Israel's fiercest nemesis, Goliath, with just a rock and a slingshot. When everyone else was hiding in fear, he was willing to stand up in faith in the name of the Lord his God and see victory. And the seventh prophecy will address the fact that Messiah would be presented with gifts. Now, we talked about Jesus is not just Savior. He's not just deliverer, but he is the King. He is the King of kings. Now, when people go before the King, you don't go empty-handed. You pay homage to the King. You recognize and pay tribute to him as the rightful ruler. Psalm 72 10 even says, may the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. So do we see people coming and bringing and presenting gifts to Jesus and recognizing him as the rightful king? Matthew 2.11 tells us, after entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, after opening their treasure chests, they presented to him gifts fit for a king—gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we see here, Jesus was presented with gifts. It was to honor him as king, to recognize his royalty. And we see the angel actually prophesied in Luke one thirty two, he will be supreme. And will be known as the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will enthrone him as King on his ancestor David's throne. Now, what do we learn? Imply from this today. As I said, you don't go before the king empty handed. You can even see this in the natural. In England, with the royal family, you can see people come from all over and shower them with flowers. They send them very nice gifts to the palace just to honor them. We come bringing our gifts, we come with costly offerings, we bring the sacrifice of praise when we come into the king's presence. You bring something fit for a king. You bring your best, you bring your life, you bring your all. And the eighth and last prophecy we're gonna look at today is that a star would announce his birth. Now, this one is important and unique in that it's a supernatural birth announcement. We'll see this prophecy in Numbers twenty four seventeen. It says, I see him now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth, from the descendants of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of the descendants of Israel and crush the forehead of Moab and destroy the sons of Sheth. We see when the wise men came from the east to seek out and worship the child king, they were experts at studying the stars, but apparently they were also experts and well-versed in the Jewish scriptures as they not only saw the star, but connected it That this star actually says that the king of the Jews and the savior of the world, the one that the world's been waiting for, has actually come. They were so sure of it that they packed up probably their camels, their best, absolute best gifts. They were willing to travel from far away just to have the chance to see him with their own eyes and to worship them for themselves. And Matthew 2, 1 through 2 says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, magi, wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem asking, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, why is it significant that this star announced his birth? Again, aside from fulfilling prophecy, which Jesus clearly came to do, it was a supernatural sign, again, from God announcing that his son was born. Some even think that this star was actually a manifestation of God's glory that actually led them and directed them directly to Jesus, Now, what can we learn from this today? God reveals his glory to those who will seek him. To those who will seek him in his presence, they will find him. It's those that are hungry and humble enough to be led that get to see him. It seems that others either couldn't or wouldn't see the star. But the wise men who were actively seeking it out were able to have eyes to see. So my question to us today, what are we seeking? We will always eventually find the thing that we are looking for. So I wanna encourage us today, let's seek his face like never before. Let's run after his presence like never before. Let's be led by his spirit like never before and put our faith and trust in his glory coming and meeting us. If the wise men can put aside all of their understanding, be completely inconvenienced, exercise faith in action, and come and humble themselves before a baby, freely giving the best and worshiping him as king, we should do the same. God continues to lead and guide and direct us by his Holy Spirit. We have to be led by the Spirit each and every day, and we have the confidence that the Spirit will always lead and point us directly to Jesus. If we seek him, we will find him. When we look at just some of these prophecies concerning the birth of Jesus, it becomes crystal clear. He is the promised Messiah, He is the savior of the world. He is our great deliverer, and he is the king of kings. Everything about his birth is supernatural and is miraculous. Everything points to him as the only one who can bring salvation to the world, but also has the divine right and authority to rule and govern it. That's why we celebrate at Christmas, It's the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies when God would send his son into the world to save and seek that what was lost. It's more than just a birthday. It's more than just a holiday. It's more than just a feast or a time to have fun with friends and family. This is a time to give honor and glory and praise to God who brought forth Jesus at just the right time by the power of the Holy Spirit to redeem and save that which was lost. Remember, every word of God that he has spoken is true. He does bring it to pass. It does not return void. And that means whatever he has promised to you is going to come true. That it is not going to return void. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he prophesies will come to pass. And just as Jesus came the first time, we know he is coming back again as the conquering king, and we will be ready to celebrate the return of our king. So we just say today, come Lord Jesus, come into this place, come into our hearts. God, we we honor you as the king, as the rightful ruler in our hearts, God, as the rightful ruler of the heavens and the earth. God help us to honor you, to humble ourselves before you, God, to to seek you with all of our hearts, to seek your face, to seek your presence, God. I love that saying that wise men still seek him. That's the truest thing. God, help us to be wise. Help us to seek you with all of our hearts, to give you the best that we have, the best that we have, to honor you as the king, to worship you as the king. God, we thank you for what you have done. We thank you that your prophecies are true that it has come to pass and it will come to pass. Thank you that you have made a way. Thank you that we have been adopted as sons and daughters in the family of God. Thank you that we are now firmly rooted and established and planted in your house, God. So we thank you for that this year. We thank you for that this season, in spite of everything else that's going on, in spite of the chaos or the turmoil or circumstances being dark or not working out the way that we think that they should. We know that there is a God in heaven. We thank you that the King is still on the throne, that he is still decreeing justice, that he is still decreeing favor, that he is still decreeing that his promises are coming to pass at the right time. It will come to pass. It will come to pass. So we say, do it, Lord. Do your will. Let it be done. As you have said, help us to have obedient hearts, God, to walk this thing out, to wait for you, to wait on you, to be willing vessels, God, to carry your glory, to carry your presence, to be reflections of who you are to those around us not just at this time, God, but at every time and every season and every day, God, we thank you that that every day we can say this is the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice and we will be glad in it. So God, we rejoice in you today. We praise you today. We honor you today. Uh, We thank you. We thank you that you are still working behind the scenes in our lives. And if you can somehow orchestrate and put together all of these prophecies to come about at just the right moment in history with Jesus, there's nothing that we're going through that's too crazy, that's too hard for you to work out in our lives as well. So we thank you for it, God. You are sovereign. We thank you that you are in the details, that you have everything under your control, And we praise you, we praise you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.